0: Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the worlds of fitness and nutrition. I'm so excited about today's episode, so make sure you listen in and get ready to learn. Alrighty, y'all. Welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition. Today, I am super excited. I have John Gorman. He's the owner of Teen Gorman. He also has so many things that he does, so I'm going to let him tell you. But John, thank you so much for taking your time to come on my podcast. For those that don't know, John has been on several different podcasts, hosting several different podcasts, from TNT Podcasts all the way to his new podcast opportunity. So I'm very thankful for everything that you do. And thank you so much again for coming on my podcast and taking your time to chat and educate others. So can you tell my listeners, sorry, can you tell my listeners a little bit about who you are and a background of what you do?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I really appreciate you having me on the show, Lacey. Um, you're doing some really, really good things. You and I have been talking about you speaking at an upcoming Physique Summit. That's one of the things I do. So I'm excited for us to to launch into this podcast. It's the first time we've ever kind of collaborated together. So I know the topic is going to be a good one today. A little bit about me. Um, I mean, I've got my hands on a lot of different things. So I am a full-time coach. Uh, mostly work with bodybuilders and physique athletes, but I do work with a lot of lifestyle clients as well. Um, and I've been doing that since 2007 when I first became a trainer. So I'm old man Gorman over here. I'm 40, almost 43 years old. And, um, I've, I've been in the trenches for quite a while. So that's, that's my main job. That's my full-time job as as a diet coach. Um, I do on the Physique Summit conference that I was just talking about, Uh, Cliff Wilson Cohn's out with me. We've had that going on since 2015. where We bring in some of the top diet coaches, uh, bodybuilders and athletes, researchers, dietitians in the world to speak at our our two-day conference. So we've had five of those so far. We're getting ready to have the sixth one this year that we're working on. Um, I've written a few books. I've written three different books, all physique enhancement related. Um, I own one gym. I just sold another one, so I at one point owned two gyms. So I really have my hands on a lot of stuff. And then Elite Physique University is my newest podcast that I that I run with Jason Theobald. We're like seven episodes in, and it's it's rocking and rolling. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my life in a nutshell.
0: Oh, your new podcast is fantastic. I know I have been binge. Binge listening to that one for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that.
0: Of course. Um. So let's start talking about what we're going to talk about today. And that is advanced meal timing. So you guys, this is for people who are wanting to get to their best physique. So we are going to get into the nitty gritty. And if you are just a general gen pop, you're just a general lifter, this is not for you, right? This is for somebody who is... Willing to give their all and go into the minuscule details of how they can get to their best physique.
1: Yeah, and you know I, I like to talk about you know someone doesn't have to step on stage to get an advantage from the information we're going to talk about today. But we really are talking to the people who are very very interested in, in physique enhancement, um, not not just people that are that are in there trying to work out and be healthy, which is nothing wrong with that. But we're going to go over some pretty pretty advanced tips you know, that make up, you know, one to two to 3% of your overall physique enhancement. Sometimes it's it's those little bitty tips that we give that when you add those up over the course of one to three to five years, they really make a big, big advantage.
0: Yes, 100%. So let's dive in. A lot of people, they are always questioning about meal timing. So before we get into the pre, the intra, the post, before we discuss insulin sensitivity, muscle protein synthesis, let's just talk about what to question when you're diving into total meal timing. So the priority I always ask is, what is your goal? You trying to gain weight, lose weight, you trying to focus on metabolic dysregulation that you may have, what's going on? Another thing to question is type of training right? So how are you training in the gym? Do you train with high intensity, lower intensity, more power lifting, more high rep types of training? So that is also something you have to keep in mind. Um, John what are additional things that you like to question when it comes to total meal timing?
1: You know, I think when it comes down to it, um, what I like to find out is is exactly all the things that you just said. And I really like to find out how new someone is to training, um, because as we know, a lot of people that are in the beginning stages, they gain muscle really fast. Um, I like to just start out with the basics with a lot of those people. Um, you know, maybe I have a 21-year-old guy who's been lifting in the gym. He lifted in high school. Maybe he's in his you know second year of college and he's still lifting. But he still needs to get the basics down. So I don't want to overwhelm that type of person with with too much talking about pre, intra, and post-workout. I want to start with the basics like spreading out your protein feedings and making sure you're getting adequate protein per meal. And you don't have to eat 10 times a day to get, quote-unquote, big like the big guys in the magazines um, or a lot that you see on social media that still kind of promote – you know, the old, the old, you need to eat, you know, eat eight, nine, 10 times a day to get big type theory. So I like to just keep it basic and find out more of like what their current education is. And then I like to really start to break it down into the more advanced, um, approaches like we're going to talk about today.
0: Yes, 100%. I miss the beginner gains. I miss them. You can build some quality muscle with barely touching your nutrition as a beginner. And, I wish I would have taken advantage of that and known more information that I do now. But goodness gracious, you guys, those newbie lifters, you you got it made.
1: Yeah, I mean it's nice. It's, it's a quality twelve months that you can really just pack on muscle. And it, it most people don't even have to exactly eat perfect. They can still get by with enough protein. Um, you know, I, I always go back to the. I've helped so many people that are in college where they're having to, you know eat in the cafeteria and they're having to do all these things, but they're so new. Like everything they do leads to new muscle. It's the people that really start to get stubborn. You know, people like me that have been training 20 years that if you haven't been using nutrient time or a pre and intra and post-workout protocol, that's something that can be a game changer, you know, within the first week, like you can feel a ton of difference. I've got a lady that just signed up with me. She's in her fifties and she hadn't been doing any of that at all. And then one week into her training, you know she's adding ten to twenty pounds to, to a lot of her her bigger lifts, and all we all we did was just change her nutrient timing around so it's it's one of those things I think are going to benefit people that are ready to kind of push to that next level to have that solid base already down
0: exactly and when it comes down to meal timing and figuring out what's best for you too it's not about always what you enjoy when it comes down to maximizing your physique. It's about what's going to best help you be a beast in the gym, recover in the gym, and what's going to lower total amounts of cortisol, which I find when it comes down to changing your physique, cortisol is the least talked about at least in the realm of the dietitian world so if you can manage your stress if you can manage cortisol you have some big powers in your hands so that's a whole nother thing that we could talk about in regards to pre post and intra but that's something that I wish more people would talk about would be the effects of cortisol with building muscle with changing your physique.
1: Yeah. And I think cortisol is one of those things, you know, a lot of people hear it and they hear it's automatic, you know, they automatically think of a lot of the bad characteristics of it. Um, But the one thing about the pre-intra and post-workout protocol, especially intra, it does help knock that down. And I think most people, what they can relate to is whenever you're highly stressed or whenever you're running on low sleep for the day and you go into the gym and you just have a crappy training session, you can't really feel the muscle like you typically do, or everything just kind of feels heavy. Um, sometimes, you know, when cortisol is chronically high or you're just on low sleep, you kind of feel that that's where this, this pre-entrum post-workout protocol really comes into effect because it kind of helps, um, blunt some of those effects and it, ha- it helps you have a better workout. But I know everyone's felt that feeling to where you go in and you're training, and you're like, I just cannot get anything going. Or finally, by the end of your workout, you slowly, you slowly get a pump, like you slowly get enough blood in that muscle, you actually start feeling good, but it takes you the whole workout just to get there. That's chronically elevated cortisol in a lot of people and people that have done a show, you know, that feeling. So that's, that's one of the benefits to adding this protocol.
0: Exactly. So let's start chatting about it. Let's start with pre-workout nutrition. What is the importance of pre-workout nutrition and how can we use it in order to get to our best physique?
1: Well, so the the main thing that I try and find out from a client is how far out from your workout do you want to eat, and that to me dictates the food that someone should use. So, you know, if someone's going to train, you know, at three o'clock in the afternoon, and their last meal is going to be right before then, it's going to be one o'clock, and that's just the way they have to time it. Then I'm okay with with having some solid food, you know, because it's two hours prior. So if someone wants to have some chicken, some rice and some vegetables, that's gonna sit in their stomach, that's gonna digest over the next few hours. And they're not gonna have a lot of bloat. Usually I set people up on their on their nutrient timing, their pre-workout meal based on bloat. So if someone ate chicken, rice, and vegetables 20 minutes before they went into the gym, and then they're drinking all the fluids they need to drink during their training and the supplements, they're gonna feel bloated. So I try to, you know limit as much bloat as possible because to digest all that food you have to pull a lot of blood into your digestive system to break that down and to get that job done and that's not necessarily where you want blood during a training session you want it going to the muscles that you're working so generally i pair up either a faster digesting pre-workout meal or a slower digesting pre-workout meal based on how far away from the training session in a perfect world i like to recommend people have whey protein Somewhere between thirty to sixty minutes before they train, because it sit, it sits easy on your stomach, it digests and it breaks and it breaks down fast, and it doesn't really cause bloat as long as you're using high quality. And then I like to pair that up with a low-fat carb source that also digests easy. I'm really big on things like potatoes, um, cream of rice, um, rice cakes are fine. Uh, White rice is fine some fruit is fine like a lot of people demonize fruit and they're scared of fruit But fruit is a great pre-workout carb Um, It digests in 30 to 60 minutes and helps fuel your workout So I like to pair up the whey protein with something that's going to sit easy on someone's stomach And that's why this is kind of an art form Lacey with the things that we do as coaches We have to figure out or help our clients figure out what foods sit well on their stomach So that's generally how I how I kind of base my pre-workout meal Ahead of time. And then I also make sure there's an adequate amount of salt at that meal too. Um, whether someone just has to shotgun some salt right before they go into the gym, or they have something like mashed potatoes, a shake, and the mashed potatoes already have some salt in there. So that that to me is kind of the basis of my pre workout meal.
0: Yeah, 100%. I like to say you have to make sure that you're eating foods that digest well. You got to make sure that when you're going in the gym, you're not gassy, right? And you're also regulating your blood sugar. I'm a huge fan of focusing on blood sugar management and insulin sensitivity. So I do personally work with a lot of different women who have hormonal-based issues. Now, that is a lot different than somebody who does not have any issues with their blood sugar. But I liked when people are going into the gym, I always want to prevent that mid-workout crash because nobody likes that feeling. You know, you're through – you're midway through your workout – You're on the floor. You're not feeling your best. You have that drop in in strength, heightened anxiety, stress. You might be sweating. And that is hypoglycemia, right? So we want to prevent that. And so to prevent that, I do like to tell people to do a mix, if they can, of um, quick digesting and slow digesting carbohydrates, um, making sure that you have that adequate protein, 25 to 40 grams. And for some people, I do like throwing in a fat source. However, that is person-by-person dependent. For some, throwing in that fat source will totally slow the digestion. And like John said, it's 100% also about at what time are you eating that meal and at what time are you going to go work out. So I like to see people do 30 to 60 minutes before training. And an example of something I would personally do would be something like 30 grams of oats, um, one cup of egg whites or a scoop of protein powder, a little bit of chia seeds. I personally can handle that, um, and some fruit like strawberries. I personally find that throwing in some fruit can really help with just throwing in more nutrient variety.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, you bring up a very important point when it comes to blood sugar levels, and that's I'm really glad that you brought that up. So, someone that's going to have say say their pre workout meal is a whey shake and like three or four rice cakes, right? Like thirty to forty carbs. Those rice cakes break down so fast. If they have that like an hour and a half before they work out, or maybe even an hour before they work out, by the time they get to the gym, they might still have a little bit (laughs) Yeah. They might have a little bit of energy at the first of the workout, but the workout drops blood sugar as well, as we both know. So then, you know, by the time they're you know a third of the way into the workout, their blood sugar's bottomed out. Now they can offset that with having the intra-workout carbs, which I know we're eventually going to get to in this episode. But it's one of those things, the faster digesting something is, I try and push that closer to the workout, if that's going to be their carb of choice. And a lot of people, they just don't understand blood sugar levels and how fast they can drop with higher glycemic carbs.
0: Yeah. And the more stressed you are, the more cortisol dysregulation you have, which I personally find is quite common for people. But The harder that you're going to be able to manage your blood sugar. So huge factors being able to manage your blood sugar to be able to train and continue training in your workouts.
1: Yeah, cortisol. I mean, cortisol is such a fascinating thing because when it's elevated, your blood sugar levels are elevated and insulin's also elevated. So it's it's constantly, it's constantly up there. So it's always it's always wreaking hell on your on your blood sugar levels. And it's just it creates issues with insulin sensitivity, the whole nine yards. I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on cortisol, honestly, but it's such a fascinating hormone.
0: Oh, it really is. Have you ever had cortisol issues before?
1: Um, me, not really so much personally because I, I know if I'm highly stressed, I won't diet, so I won't try and diet. But I have I have had insulin sensitivity issues from high cortisol, like Whenever I bought my second gym, for example, I was really stressed out. I had so much stuff going on and I bought the second gym and I lost one of the managers and I had to go work and like do all this other stuff on top of everything. So I was sleeping less and just everything was tough. Well, my blood sugar in the morning when I would measure it would would be well over a hundred and that's because my cortisol was high and it was constantly causing me to secrete more blood sugar and insulin was high. So I had to do an insulin sensitivity reset. So, I mean, I've done that. I do that with my clients every single year. So, yeah, I, I've had some bouts with it, but I know not to try and diet through that because someone that's trying to diet through high cortisol, chronically elevated, it means you have higher levels of insulin and blood sugar circulating. So it makes it really hard to burn fat because those two things kind of get in the way of that. So it's it's really a pain. It really is.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. I've had my own bouts with cortisol from trying to – do a master's degree plus a dietetic internship plus full-time training, basically running myself into the ground. So I've had my own issues plus I've had my clients have their own issues Try and think that they're busy moms that can also contest prep, that can also go do, you know, all these different trainings for themselves. So unfortunately cortisol is a demon and I know it. But going back to pre-workout nutrition, what are your thoughts on using fruit for translocation of different receptors for transportable
1: carbs well so here's the thing and this this is where you're going to be more knowledgeable than i am because i'm not a registered dietitian i am someone i would say
0: some registered dietitians will are less knowledgeable than you for sure
1: got it so i mean that's that's not something that, that i can accurately answer but i am a big big fan of fruit because of how fast it digests but it's not too fast like rice cakes are so fast Something like, I'm real big on on blueberries and strawberries because of the phytosterols and the health benefits, but Mm -hmm. they also cause a nice steady release of energy. So if if anyone's ever interested in just testing that, just have a shake and like 30 carbs from um, blueberries and strawberries and have that like 30 minutes before your workout. You'll have an amazing workout because your energy levels just stay, you know, it breaks down then the liver kicks it out and you just have this constant stream of energy. So that's the main reason I'm a big fan of it, but I'm only a fan of it pre-workout. I'm not a fan of a fan of fruit post-workout or a lot of the other meals because it just doesn't store as well as glycogen in the muscle. You know, obviously, you know, it's like, I think it's like 50, 50, um, it, you know, it'll store 50, 50 in the liver, 50, 50 in the, in the muscle as glycogen because it's just mostly made up of fructose. So it's one of those things outside of pre-workout. I'm not a big fan of it in little amounts. For adherence to the diet, having something sweet, if you like that, I think it's great. But that's just kind of my overall thoughts on fruit.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. There's some, there's a lot of interesting papers showing the use of fructose being used for different marathon endurance cycling athletes. So there is some data to show that doing the combination. So we have different glute receptors, um, in our bodies, glute four, insulin regulated in the skeletal and the cardiom um, the cardiac muscle that is mostly used for glucose. And then we have glute five, facilitative diffusion, passive gradient, um, it, is where fruit dust lies. So, using these different transporters, we can potentially push um, more fuel into the body. And that is super beneficial if somebody has longer, intense training. So if somebody's doing like two hours plus, they're doing marathon training, there's definitely use for using fruit plus simple carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates, being able to get more of those carbohydrates total into your system. Um, But when it comes down to specifically for shorter weight training sessions, like an hour, I don't think it's necessary but it definitely can help if somebody has an extremely high carbohydrate intake. But then there's other things like liquid digestible carbs that could be even more useful, right?
1: Right. And I think that's probably something, you know, I, I haven't really looked into that because as we start to get into the next part of this with the intra-workout carbs, whenever you're ready. It plays a whole different something.
0: role, it, right?
1: It, it changes. It kind of changes the game. You know, the pre-workout meal is to give someone energy energy. At the first half of the workout or the beginning of the workout and it keeps cortisol down when you start training and then i start to introduce intro workout carbs during training to kind of keep those levels up and the energy there so it that really does kind of change the game so i guess my clients are getting a mix obviously if they're using fruit because they'll throw those intro workout carbs in the form of dextrose in there
0: yeah so i'm gonna let you totally take over the intra-workout. I know I had listened to you, and then John Meadows are the people that started me on diving into what is peri-workout nutrition. So I'm going to let you fully take over and talk to my listeners. What is peri-workout nutrition, and how can it benefit them?
1: Okay, so it's something that I've been super passionate about. My clients have been having some kind of intra-workout carbs since 2011, and I really just kind of started them back in the day with – Branch chain amino acids and some Gatorade powder because Gatorade powder was cheap at Walmart. You could just buy a big tub of it, um, and I tried a lot of different things over the years. I tried, you know, potato starch powder, believe it or not. I tried maltodextrin. I tried waxy maize, which just bloated me so bad and made me I miserable. I imagine. Yeah. I mean, waxy maize was the big deal back in 2011. So I think people were going through tubs of it and they're just walking around bloated during their training. Um, I did try cyclic dextrins. Um, and what I really started to settle on was dextrose. Dextrose is extremely cheap. It's glucose. It's It's basically, you know, some of it can bypass digestion and it starts absorbing in your body immediately. So I thought, you know, if dextrose is so cheap, why not just combine that with some branched-chain aminos? And that's kind of what I fell on to start. So the the important reason why I started that, though, is because we used to all just have our pre-workout meal and then we would go train and we would drink uh, BCAAs because back in the day, that's what we thought. We thought, you know, you need to turn on protein synthesis during your training and all these different things. we would just drink branch chain aminos and then we would get through our workout and then we'd have another shake and some carbs. But what I found was is when people started introducing carbs such as dextrose or Gatorade, their strength started to go through the roof without changing anything else. And if you really think about it, it's an immediate fuel source, especially something fast digesting like that that helps you recover between sets. It helps give you energy right then and there. It helps keep cortisol knocked down. Um, Carbs are actually cell volumizers, so they pull water and salt and other nutrients into the muscle cell while you're training, exactly where you want it. And it really just started to click and make sense. Why would someone not try this? You know, the only reason I thought people fought me on it, they're like, "Well, I just I want to chew my food. I don't want to drink it." And you know, I used to give with that, but then as my physique athletes started to diet down, the other thing I noticed not only were they keeping their strength better dieting down. Some of the same people I would diet down, you know, from one year to the next would have a higher stage weight once they used intra workout carbs. And I thought about it and I thought, okay, this is completely anecdotal. This is just what I'm seeing in the trenches. There was no research to back this up, but their stage weight's higher. They're not putting, they're natural athletes. Like that's, that's mostly my clients are all natural athletes. So it's not like they're going to put on a bunch of stage weight in one year. And their stage weight is going up. So that to me translated to more muscle retention when they're dieting down. So, that's really what I saw, and that kind of led me to the process of depending on someone's protein levels, and we can talk about aminos and whether they need them or not if you want, Lacey. I'm, I'm still kind of torn on this back and forth, but I still, I still recommend amino acids. I'm big on EAAs these days. And then I recommend for women, start out with 20 carbs intra um, in the form of dextrose and just add that to your EAAs. Make sure you have that in at least a 20-ounce shaker cup of water because you need plenty of fluids. And throw a quarter teaspoon of sea salt in there. And if you don't like the taste of that, then just shotgun it. And I think that's important that you you have salt in there to help um, with muscle contraction and pump. So that's the main thing I do. I also like to throw some creatine monohydrate in there because it's also a cell volumizer. It helps pull everything into the muscle cell where you want it. Um, but I also tell people, listen, if you can't remember, take an intro, just have your creatine sometimes that day. But that's kind of the basis of my protocol and why I do it for any of the guys out there listening. I like to start them on 30 to 35 carbs intro. And I like to tell everyone, you know, kind of have this finished about three quarters away through the workout. That way, when you go to have your post-workout meal, your blood sugar is starting to come back down, your digestive system's calm, you're you're good, and you're ready to actually eat again. And that's really the basis of my intro workout protocol. And I've been doing that for, I mean, it's almost a decade now. And it just, it's one of those things I look back as a coach and thought, man, I'm so glad I picked up on this because I know my athletes look better because of it.
0: Yeah, there's definitely power in peri-workout nutrition. And I would personally see a lot of different. I would see more of a benefit when it comes down to men, right? So they're having to pound more in their bodies. They get more food um, versus just like my bikini competitors that maybe, you know, they get down to 100 grams of carbs. But there is power in having that peri-workout nutrition to help with recovery, training intensity, and being able to decrease the cortisol response to training. Um, I, I like cyclic dextrin for sure, essential amino acids, I do want to hear your thoughts, though, on the branched-chain amino acids. I personally do. I have – I'm an experimenter. I don't know if you know. I literally experiment with anything and everything. So I've done step-count experiments. I've done heart rate experiments. I've done experiments with different supplements for different reasons. I'm crazy. I'm a human experiment. But I've definitely experimented myself with branched-chain versus amino acids and not doing them. So what are your thoughts using them?
1: So I'm just like you. I, I'm a super geek. I, okay. <laughs> I, I'm really a half bro because, you know, a lot of the stuff that's not proven by science, you know, us experimenting and doing stuff in the trenches, either with ourselves or our clients, that's what leads ultimately to research anyway. Exactly. So I'm exactly like you. And so here's, here's kind of my current thoughts. You know, there was a lot of information that came out a couple of years ago where it was proven that if your protein intake is high enough, you don't need branched chain amino acids. And specifically BCAAs. I don't think EAAs were talked about. So, you know, if, if a female, like one of my females, if she's 45 years old and I have her taking in 180 grams of protein, because, you know, as, as someone gets older, they need more protein, and she's a physique athlete, you know, that's a lot of protein. Does she necessarily need to have amino acids during her training? I don't necessarily think so. But what I do try and do is if someone's having a whey shake before and after that's a lot of amino acids right there and it's right there, it's right close it kind of bookends the workout so if i have my female athlete take in 30 grams of protein from whey or 25 from whey 30 minutes before she trains i'm actually because her amino acid levels are elevated because protein synthesis is turned on i'm okay with her just drinking some kind of simple carbs like gatorade or some dextrose with like a, a crystal light packet in there to give it some flavor. I'm okay with that because the aminos are in there doing what they need to do. Um, and then she's going to have a way shake again, post-workout. Does someone necessarily need the aminos added there? I don't ne- I think it would be splitting hairs if someone's protein high enough and if they're having way pre and post that close to the workout, that's, that's kind of where I've settled on it. Now, if someone's having chicken and rice two hours prior, yeah, I'd rather see someone taking EAAs because that's a full spectrum of amino acids. Um, you know, leucine and bisase will actually turn on protein synthesis, but EAAs can actually turn it on and fuel it. It's just, it's, it's not exactly like whey protein, but it does a job similar to whey. So it's, it's pretty close. And most people don't want to drink whey during their workout. Let's just be honest. I've tried that myself. It was nasty because <laughs> the amount of water that you have to take in to drink away is just tough. So EAAs are good there. Um, but that's that's kind of where I fall on that. And you know what? I'm so open-minded to changing my mind. I might change my mind on that in a year.
0: And that is where a true scientific evidence-based person lies is being open-minded. Right. I know for me, I I laughed because – I One time, I tried to do maltodextrin with the whey protein, and that did not mix well. So, oh, so I automatically good. just thought about that experience. But I'm a huge fan of using essential amino acids for helping with muscle recovery. Personally, that has... If I don't use them during my leg day training, I can definitely feel it the next day. So I find that super beneficial. And I'm a huge fan, even if you don't need them, branched-chain amino acids. If somebody's doing fasted training, I'm like, you have to take something. If you're not going to eat beforehand, you're going to take branched-chain amino acids. If you can't or you won't take a food at source. So there's use for it. There really is.
1: Yeah. And you know with – another place I'll use uh, branched-chain amino acids is – Um, if someone's on a ketogenic diet or a very, or their protein's just not as high as what I feel like it needs to be. So on keto, you know, protein has to be a little bit lower so it doesn't convert over into carbs and kick them out of ketosis. So there I will have somebody actually sip on aminos because they get more leucine per meal that way, or total leucine per day, which is just really important when it comes to building muscle or holding on to muscle when someone diets down. You know, the EAAs are super cool, but some of those are... They're not very ketogenic. Some of those will convert over alanine, for example. So, it, you know, we get so specific with this stuff. Um, it really just depends on so many different scenarios. But intra-workout, I think anyone can take EAAs and some dextrose, and they're going to be golden. I really do.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad we dove into the liquid sources because I do see some people, they'll try and do food sources. And I'm like, okay, well, you have to digest that. And that's going to take a little bit of time to get into your bloodstream. So when it comes down to peri-workout, you are so much better off getting a liquid form readily, easily digestible and absorbable versus eating some candy in the middle of your workout that's not even going to hit you till after your workout, right? Right. That's the mistake I see a lot of people make.
1: Yeah, I see a lot of gummy bears, like a lot of gummy uh-huh. bears and a lot of like just, just hard candies and stuff like that. And it's because people want it, like they enjoy that, like they they love, we'll just have that after your workout. Like if you really, really want the food itself, have that after your workout, like if it's a, a satisfying thing. Um, but you're right, you don't want food having to, to go through digestion, get broke down, like you don't want blood being pulled there. It's just not, that's not the goal of intra-workout carbs.
0: Exactly. You want to be optimizing your training and pulling all that blood into your gut is not optimizing. So let's dive into post-workout nutrition. One of the most important things that you can do for building muscle and recovery. Now, as we have said, post-workout depends on how your pre-workout, how your inter workout was. So for me, if I had somebody doing peri-workout nutrition. I'm not going to tell them right off the bat that they need to pound in some fast digesting protein and carbohydrates into their system because they still have that muscle protein synthesis elevated from peri-workout nutrition. Um, but John, I'll let you start. What are your thoughts on post-workout nutrition?
1: Um, you know what? It's it's pretty fascinating. I, I like where you went with that um, because I've changed my mind to exactly what you just said. Um, from over the years, because back in the day we used to think as soon as you're done with your last set, bro, you need to pound away protein shake. Like don't even like have it ready, mix it up and, and have it ready. I'm Or you lose laughing. your gains. <laughs> right. And you know, I think some of you know, that's kind of just what we were taught back in the day. So it's being open-minded to change. that kind of leads to stuff that we're talking about. So yeah, it, I try and tell my clients once again, intro workout, try and have all those carbs and your drink finished, you know, 20 minutes prior to being done training that way your blood sugar levels can settle your digestion can settle you can drive home maybe it's a 20 minute drive home then then you're looking at the last time you actually put food and stuff like that in your body it's been 45 minutes or an hour and your your body is ready to take on more food now I'm a big fan of having whey again post-workout because if someone eats a chicken breast it's going to take hours and hours and hours to break down and then actually turn on protein synthesis. And that's the goal of protein. So I always tell people, go ahead and go ahead and have way. Just wait 30 minutes, 60 minutes. I don't care. Just until you're kind of hungry or your digestion's completely settled down. Let's turn protein synthesis and growth. Let's turn the machinery back on. And then I always tell people, make sure you pair your, your post-workout shake with some form of carbohydrates And because a lot of people don't realize, yes, you need to replenish glycogen, but the role of carbohydrates in conjunction with protein after workout, the most important thing is when you turn on protein synthesis with whey protein, for example, the carbs actually fuel the process of protein synthesis. They fuel the process of growth. Yes, they replenish glycogen and they do stuff like that, but carbs don't turn on protein synthesis, but they actually fuel it. And, you know, on my, on my other podcast I've talked about Gabe Wilson quite a bit because he did a cool study and I'll talk about it here real quick. He did a cool study where he measured just whey protein after a workout, or he measured whey protein and carbs and just whey protein after the workout, protein synthesis and growth went up and it started to drop down after 90 minutes. When he paired it up with carbs, it extended out for three to four hours so I always tell people, go ahead and make sure you don't just have whey after your workout. Make sure you pair it up with carbs because then you're fueling the process of growth. You're going to get better growth um, from that. So I, I'm not a big protein only after the workout thing. And, and I know there's a lot of, you know, I say bro coaches because I'm half bro, but there's a lot of people out there that think, well, if I just have whey and I don't get carbs in the way, I'm going to burn fat faster after my workout. Um but if you're in a deficit you're going to burn fat like you you need to think about what you just put your body through and it's got to prioritize muscle growth and recovery because you're going to turn around and train that body part again in a few days for most people so that's that's kind of where i'm at on on my end of it
0: yeah huge factor post-workout too is insulin sensitivity now of course we are insulin sensitive just because we trained right so we have translocation of the GLUT four. But why not take advantage of when you are most insulin sensitive post-workout and get in a good, decent amount of carbs? I would much rather see my clients get 40 to 50% of their daily carb intake around their training because that is going to help with insulin sensitivity and it's also very, very powerful for recovery. I'm yeah, glad you I, mentioned the whole um, muscle protein synthesis, you know, adding carbs does not necessarily spike that up. But when it comes down to building muscle and the recovery process, there's power in that.
1: Yeah, there definitely is. And most people, they just they just don't know that they don't understand it. So it's you know, I, I hope if if there's one thing that they can take away from this whole thing, it's it's the importance of carbs around the workout because they fuel the recovery process they fuel the growth process in conjunction with protein like that to me is the number one take home
0: i love that and i do want to give my listeners some practical examples of how timing whether it be pre intra or post can be manipulated based on where you're at so to give my listeners an example if you had your fast digesting protein, and your carbohydrates right before you worked out, and you did not do an intra, then doing a post-workout fast-digesting mix of slow, fast-digesting carbohydrates, a little bit of fat will be totally just fine. Um, If you were the person that pre-workout nutrition, you did like three to four hours before, which is not optimal in my opinion, but three to four hours before your training session, you had your pre-workout meal. Then I would want to see an intra-workout, and then I would want to see a post-workout because that muscle protein synthesis, we need to make sure we are taking advantage of that. So what are some practical, um, some practical examples for you that you would suggest for clients based on their timing?
1: Yes, I mean, you, you nailed that right on the head. I mean, that's exactly exactly what I recommend for my clients. The main thing I just have to reiterate is use carbs pre and intra, they're gonna sit well on your stomach. And test those out. Like, don't be afraid, don't be afraid to try different stuff. That's kind of lacy where you and I have gotten to the point where we are sitting on this podcast right now. It's just we tried out so much different stuff on ourselves and our clients. So try the different things out. Try the the spacing of of or the the distance of your pre workout meal. Try that. You know, try it thirty minutes before. Before. Try sixty minutes before. Kind of see where you feel the best and then just keep notes on that, like mental notes or keep notes in your phone. It doesn't matter. Um, and just remember, there's no there's no magical – the other thing I want to talk about is there are no magical foods post-workout because, you know, back in the day we used to think you had to have high GI carbs. Oh, it's not white cooking. rice. Yeah. I mean it, there were so many misconceptions out there. People said, you know, you, you should take in glucose and dextrose post-workout because – it turns on anabolism and it and it gets everything done faster. But you know, carbs are going to replenish you after the workout, regardless. There's just a lot glycogen replenishment's going to happen. So if you have carbs at your other meals, it's going to happen there. Um, the main thing that you need to remember is to have foods that that don't cause a ton of inflammation, that don't cause bloating, that you actually feel good on, and also ultimately what you enjoy because adherence is also a big, big, big part. And if someone can't adhere to something, if you hate drinking intra-workout carbs, you just absolutely hate it, well, then just move your meals closer like Lacey was talking about and take those 20. If you're a female, take those 20 carbs and put it somewhere else if that means you, that's what you have to do to adhere to the diet. So there's so many different factors that need to be balanced out there.
0: Yeah, and that's where it comes down to work with a coach. Find out what's going to be best for you. What's going to work best for your schedule? What do you enjoy most? There are situations to where what you enjoy may not be what's best for you. However, that's where it comes down to priorities, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. And you know what? If you don't mind, if we can go back to insulin sensitivity just for a second.
0: 100%, because it's super important.
1: Yeah. That is why, is I'm dieting someone down. So if I'm going to diet a a female down and I've got her down to 100 carbs, I'm going to – I will never pull her carbs away from pre interim post before I pull them away from. So like if she's someone that wakes up and she has a pre-workout meal and then she goes and does the workout and then she has a post-workout meal and then she's got four meals left for the rest of the day, I'm going to pull those carbs away from the other meals, you know, more meals, you know, four and five. Well, before I'm going to pull them away from the carbs around the workout, because your body, the, the better your insulin sensitivity, especially around training, the better your body is going to utilize those carbohydrates for glycogen replenishment for fueling protein synthesis and the farther you get away from the workout every time we eat we do store a little bit of fat here and there so you do want to eat carbohydrates especially the the closer that you can around the workout because it's just gonna to me i think that's one of those things where it isn't always about calories in versus calories out i think insulin sensitivity is a game changer and when when someone's pairing up their carbs around the workout they're going to use them better than if they're eating them at Eight o'clock at night when they worked out that morning, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think it makes for better fat loss. I think it helps knocks cortisol down, just like we talked about earlier. There's so many benefits to utilizing pre, inter, and post workout nutrition that it it just it's a game changer.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I try and get clients to focus on using those periods for their insulin sensitivity. And the only times that I will stop doing that is if somebody's starting to have trouble with sleep. Because of course we know dieting, we have cortisol issues, we have sleep issues, we have all these things that can happen. And we want to make sure we are optimizing our sleep. And for some, adding in a little bit of carbohydrates, not, not anything crazy, but adding in something like 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrates right before they go to bed with a with a slow digesting protein or a little bit of fat, that can really help with their sleep, um, boosting up that serotonin. So I'm a really big fan of that, but I like to focus for the most part overall on focusing on the pre and the post workout for those carbs.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%.
0: So we talked about not just food. We also want to focus on the electrolytes in the water. That's super important. Um, key mention, you guys, chugging your water after your meal is not going to feel good. So please don't eat your meal. Chug your water and think you're going to go have a bomb workout. You, you don't want to do that. More water in your gut is just going to delay the digestion. So be careful there. But... Um, Handling digestion is all going to be person by person dependent, so I don't think that's something we should or need to go into into this podcast because everybody responds differently to different foods. So, gotta experiment for yourself with that.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't realize too um, having too much fiber close to the workout. Fiber really sits in you for quite a while, so I I try and. I try and keep the fats lower and the, and the fiber lower if I can, at least to start. So fiber is also one of those things. I'm not real big on veggies at, at a pre-workout meal at all unless it's hours before. And like you said earlier, I'm not really a big fan of that either.
0: Yeah. Um, The last thing I wanted to mention, you guys, total meal timing throughout the day. How many meals a day should you eat? Well, we want to optimize muscle protein synthesis. We want to make sure we're spiking up leucine correctly. So that's four to five grams of leucine. Well, two and a half to five grams of leucine. But that's when it comes down to how many meals throughout the day you're eating What are the components of your protein? So are you vegan, vegetarian? Do you eat animal foods? So there's a lot of different things that play a role into total meal timing, muscle protein synthesis. But I do want to suggest everybody to have at least three meals a day. It would be more optimal to do four to five. But if you're trying to optimize your physique, you got to optimize muscle protein synthesis. And I don't know about you, John, but there is a lot of people that do fasting as well. I personally do intermittent fasting. But it, it, it's kind of like a catch-22 of intermittent fasting for inflammation and autophagy versus intermittent, you know, versus getting the optimal amount of meals for growing muscle, right? So there's just so many things you have to keep in mind. But if you want to optimize muscle protein th- since the synthesis, I cannot talk today, you will get in four to five meals if you can.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, if someone's very, very serious about taking their physique to the next level, Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. You know, 3 meals is is not going to be as optimal as 5 because you're going to you're going to miss out on a couple spikes in protein synthesis for the day. So if you add that up, add that up over the course of 2 years, what what kind of growth is that person missing out on? You know, there've been studies done where where someone split up um, two huge protein servings a day with, I think it was five or six. And I can't remember exactly, but you get my point, the same amount of total protein per day, but but broken up into two meals versus like five. And it wasn't even close into, you know, total protein synthesis and it being spiked five times a day versus only twice. So it's one thing if you're a physique athlete, that becomes very, very important because that little stuff added up over time. That's kind of what, what bodybuilding is. That's what extreme physique enhancement is. It's it's getting those little, those little tiny 1% to 2% advantages, and you add those up over the course of a few years, or in my case, 20 years. So it, it really does make a big difference.
0: Exactly. And before we end this podcast, because I have to say it, The quality of the foods that you eat can and will make or break your physique you have to make sure that you're eating foods that are not going to increase inflammation in your body, ones that are not going to contribute to intestinal permeability. We have to make sure we're doing everything to keep your hormones, your adrenals, your thyroid, everything happy because once you get down to thyroid hormone adrenal problems, that is a it's a downward spiral. One thing goes wrong and the other one wants to go with it. So, you have to focus on diet quality. I cannot reiterate fat enough omega-3 fats monounsaturated polyunsaturated fats staying away from processed vegetable oils Ugh, i'm not a fan of simple um simple refined processed carbohydrates really got to focus on that diet quality guys
1: yeah it's you know it's one of those things and, and i wrote a book called the flexible fat loss solution where it was just trying to teach people how to count their macros how to be able to use flexible diet is that your first one It was my second one. The first one was on uh, reverse dieting and building your metabolism before you start a diet. Um, But the second one really talked about flexible dieting. And, you know, at the time, I was just a macro coach. This is back in 2015. Like, I give someone their macros. I didn't really care what foods they ate because I was able to get people shredded on stage and they were winning and I was doing well as a coach. And at the time, you know, I'm in my mid 30s. I thought, you know what? This is fine. Like, there's really not that big of, of a difference. And then, I started to understand, you know, functional medicine. I started to kind of get into the systems of the body. And I started to understand through my own blood work that those approaches over time are definitely not, if you just eat crap all the time, a macro is not a macro. Like calories are not just calories. So what you just said, Lacey, I, I want people to take that to heart. It's the balance of eating as is, is healthy and, you know, I'll say it clean it because it is clean, clean and healthy as possible. Versus a lot of the processed stuff out there, it's the balance of that and you being able to stick to your plan that ultimately will make you successful. And that's with food, that is just, oh, it's so damn hard. Like, that's the hardest thing is balancing out being able to adhere to your diet and be able to still have a little bit of stuff here and there, some sweets here and there. Um, I think it's the people that kind of take it too far with flexible dieting and they just say, oh, a calorie is a calorie and macros are macros. As long as I hit them per day, I'm fine. But then you have someone like me that comes back and my cholesterol is through the roof, you know, from two years to three years of just eating like that, and I really had to switch to things like a modified Mediterranean diet, and the quality of my food had to change. And I mean, that's these are I mean, you could do a gazillion podcasts on all those topics we just talked about, and there would still be time to talk about it. So it's kind of exciting, you know, where you know people like you, the dietitians of the world, are kind of starting to mix in also with functional med and fixing the systems of the body. The whole industry is kind of pushing that way, and it's going to come back to quality of food. It's going to be the number one thing that we can control for our health.
0: Yeah, and beyond that too, stress reduction, self-care, that's something that people don't even think about, right? So that's super, super important is the psychology of things as well
1: it's a, it's a run and gun world that we're in. Like everything's faster than it has been before. We're always rushing, rushing, sleep less. We've got more to do. So cortisol is chronically being elevated and it's just, it's making fat loss harder. It's making quality of life harder. It's throwing all the systems of the body off. Like, uh, I mean, we, we can keep going. I'll just stop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we could. So you guys, please don't grind into the ground. Check out my previous episodes <laughs> where I greatly dive into and discuss this. But John, thank you so much for all your time for sharing your wealth of knowledge. I'm just super thankful. And I'm so glad we connected. I'm excited to share over this. And you guys, please make sure to leave a review and tell us what you like most about this podcast and what you want to learn more about. So John, thank you so much for coming on Again, can you tell my listeners where they can find you, follow you, and where they can check out your other podcasts? I know you mentioned them, but you guys, everything will be in the description for you.
1: Yeah, the the best place to get a hold of me is just shoot me a message on Instagram. It's at team underscore Gorman. And if you want to check out my other episode, it's Elite Physique University. I think I'm at the time of this recording. I've got like seven episodes up. So we are rocking and rolling. We do one a week and we talk about all these topics, um, kind of like what we've talked about the last 30 minutes here. So it's, it's Elite Physique University for a reason. We try and help people build their elite physique. So yeah, that's, that's the, uh, the best ways to hear more of me or, or to get a hold of me on Instagram.
0: Awesome. And if you could give one tip to somebody who is trying to maximize their physique, what would it be?
1: The one tip would be to be a machine when it comes to all the stuff we just talked about today. So think about pre-intra and post-workout nutrition and protocols as a tool. Constantly have it planned, constantly have it ready for the day. So what I tell people is if you want to maximize your physique, you have to have your food and you've got to have your workout and specifically your protocol around your workout already ready to go. You shouldn't be an hour before you work out trying to hurry up and go into the gas station to buy a muscle milk and and eat some fast-acting carbs that way if that's what you're trying to do you should always have this stuff planned with you have your food with you take it with you in a cooler put it in the fridge at work always have your food with you because if you're very serious that's what serious people do you know we we just lost kobe bryant extremely extremely tragic and He's one that I always, I, I studied and I pointed this out to my clients all the time. This is a guy who had everything planned out for the day to become the best at what he was doing. So if you're trying to build your best physique, you have to plan out your day. You don't want to plan it out as your day unfolds. And I, that to me, always the clients that I see get the leanest, that always look the best. They're always the people that plan. So that's the number one thing I tell people to do. Plan, plan and keep planning.
0: I agree. And I want to say train hard, recover hard. And I also want to say be willing to do what is uncomfortable for you. I see a lot of people, they get stuck in what they like and what works for them and not being willing to change based on new science or new data or new suggestions. And you got to be comfortable in getting uncomfortable because that is where change and growth occurs.
1: Great, 100%.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. You guys, I hope you love this episode and we will get more episodes up soon.